0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Innovation Crush. And there's no echo this time. Robert Donez Jr. is out sick. But uh, I have an awesome, awesome guest today by the name of Cindy Gallup. Say hello, Cindy. Hi, guys. How are you doing today?
1: Very well, thank you. That's
0: awesome. Uh, thank you for joining us. I'm, I'm so uh, excited to have you. We've been trying to do this for so long. We have, um, I have to apologize for my travel schedule. I've been getting in the way. Oh no! Don't apologize for that. That's, you can't apologize for success. <laughs> uh, <laughs> have you been any place exciting? Where, where has travel taken you lately?
1: Um, well, um, essentially, um, while these days I'm an entrepreneur with a couple of early stage web startups, I pay the mortgage through consultancy and public speaking. And so I will travel anywhere that anybody pays me to travel So, um, <laughs> uh, to go and speak. Um, so I've, I've just been speaking at a whole range of, of different places over the past few months.
0: Nice. Uh, And when you and I met, I had to follow you up, which that was very intimidating Um, in Toronto last year, I think it was. Uh, So thank you for that. Making me nervous on stage. Uh, So (laughs) I'm going to read something. I'm sure you know this very well, but uh, I like to blow shit up. I'm the Michael Bay of business. Uh, define that statement for me and, and hopefully it doesn't mean you get frazzled and walk off stage every time you have a you have a speaking engagement
1: sure so um so, so that is the sound bite that i use to um characterize um the way i work and what i do and I use it um, most specifically in the context of my consultancy business because um, I consult um, very selectively only with clients and brands who want to change the game in their particular sector. So, you come to me for radical, innovative, groundbreaking, transformative. I don't do status quo. And so, I sum up my consultancy approach as, I like to blow shit up. I am the Michael Bay of business. Because I'm a great believer in in business and in life in be your own filter. Right. When I characterize what I do in that way, it attracts to me the clients who want what I do and it repels the ones who don't. And I certainly want to repel the ones who don't. And so um, I, I advocate to people generally find a way to talk about yourself, um, you know, characterize whatever you do in a way that operates as the right kind of filter so that the people who go, wow, you know, that's really interesting, um, are the ones that you would like to be engaging with, and it's absolutely fine if you put off the ones that you don't want to be engaging with because um, that's precisely where you don't want to waste your time.
0: Now, does everybody get it, though? You know, so, uh, you know, even when we, in my travels and in other circles and and guests we've had on the show, you know, sometimes innovation, that space is sort of vague and blowing shit up sounds super exciting. But from a pra- like even when you walk in the room, from a practical standpoint, you know, is how do you you know, define that in a, in a, I guess a a way that a prospective client will grasp, right? You say you like to blow shit up and then they say, that sounds really cool. And then they go, how, like, or what, what is it? What's the status quo versus innovative?
1: Sure. So, um, I, I live my own, um, business philosophies and one of my philosophies is, I am all about communication through demonstration. So, so for example, you know, because I do a lot of public speaking, um, I regularly have the conversation, you know, just by by the stage or backstage um, before I go on, where. The host or the MC or the person who is introducing me will say, You know, Cindy, um, can I just check with you how you'd like to be introduced? And normally they've printed my bio off the internet, they've, um, you know, um, um, made some notes, done their research. And what I always say to them is, I don't care at all how you introduce me. Right. In fact, the shorter the better, and I'm completely happy if all you do is say, Ladies and gentlemen, here's Cindy Gallup. Because I believe in demonstrating to the audience why they should want to listen to me as opposed to having a list of credentials be an attempt to tell them why I'm worth listening to. And so, you know, in the same way, when I first meet with a consultancy client, you know, I will ask them to talk about their business, about whatever their business challenge or problem is. And I will I will make some observations on it. And and incidentally, I I have a caveat that I always make, where I say to people right up front, I should just explain that I'm always extremely open, honest, and direct about what I think, because I'm of no earthly business good to anybody unless I am. Right. And so I'll be very straightforward about my analysis of this situation, the opportunities I see, what I think they could be doing. And based off the back of that, it's entirely their call whether they want to work with me or not. And so, um, and so uh, as I say, you know, I, I like to put my brain to work and give them a sense of what it would be like to work with me for them to decide whether or
0: not they want to. That's great. I have another quote from you. When you identify what your personal brand stands for, when you know what you believe in, what you value, what your personal philosophy of life is, it makes life so much easier. Um, can you explain that a little bit? Uh, I mean, it sounds awesome. And I, I, I feel it from you <laughs> right now in terms of how you walk into a room business wise. And I always, you know, admiring you from afar is like you embody exactly what you just said, but in terms of that, like that personal brand and how to, you know, the process by which you exude that, uh, and knowing what your value is and, and how does that make things easier? Can you just expound on that a little bit?
1: Um, sure. And, and um, you know, I'm, um, I'm very prone to saying that many things that are true in business are also true in life. I agree. So my background is 30 years working in brand building, marketing, and advertising. And, you know, that's given me a very good understanding of the fact that um, great brands have an attitude. They have a point of view. They have beliefs and values. And they project that. They say, this is what I stand for. This is what I'm about. This is what I believe in. And either you're with me in all of that or you're not. And if you're not, that's fine because there are plenty of other people who will be. And so, you know, um, I believe that everything in life and business gets a whole lot easier when you have a very strong sense of yourself. And that applies by the way, you know, to whether you're a person or a company, when you, when you know what you're all about, you know what you're good at, you know, the way you want to work, you know, what makes you happy. And when you project that, then um, it actually makes life so much simpler because you know how to respond to any given situation in a way that is true to you. And so you make the right decisions for you. Um, you make the right call. You choose the right path. Um, you know what you should be, should be doing, what you shouldn't be. Um, right. In a way that whatever you're dealing with, no matter how difficult, no matter how great the obstacles, um, just just means that you have a compass and a confidence in navigating them that makes all the difference.
0: And, and how do you like, you know, because I feel like when, especially in today's world, right, we're in start, you have a couple of startups yourself. And we're in such a startup culture and innovation culture. Everything's new. Uh, It's hard to find that personal voice immediately. Like, and do you have any insight as to, you know, what set? Like, do you have to like give yourself some rope, right? And and kind of go on the journey a little bit and let the story start to tell itself, and then live that story once you, you know, it matches up with where you envisioned yourself, or is it kind of, hey, we're gonna set a trajectory now and and if we need to re-navigate, we can. Like, how do you find that voice from the onset or, in the, or at an early well, well, stage?
1: Well, you know, um, life is a series of accidents. I mean, everything in my life has happened completely by accident. I've never planned anything. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, the, the, the reason I talk about this is because it really helps to – Understand who you are, and what you believe in, you know, early in life rather than later. And I particularly make this point to, to entrepreneurs or would-be entrepreneurs right. because, you know, I, I happen to have two startups that are both accidents. I didn't set out to have two startups. My life is hell. Um, I was working on one and, and then the other one um, kind of happened um, and and, I, and I've serendipitously, um, rather than consciously, ended up with two startups. Are the two sides of me? So if we ran the world, is my professional side. It's my attempt to redesign the future of business, and make love not porn reflects my personal side. It's my attempt to redesign the future of sex. But but the point there is that my startups came about because when I feel strongly about something, I do something about it. So when I come across something that I'm passionate about. Right. Um, I I find a way to carve out a solution to whatever the issue is. And and that became my startups. And I believe the worst possible thing you can do is say, I want to be an entrepreneur in the abstract. I want to have a startup. Um, And I say this all the time. It's critically important that if you start a business You are doing it because it is all about something you passionately believe in. You believe that what you do will make a difference because when you start a business, you are going to go through hell. And the only thing that will keep you going through all of the nightmares, all of the problems, all of the seemingly insurmountable obstacles you are guaranteed to run into (laughs) is is if you believe that you have to do what you're doing and that it will make a difference.
0: Right. You know, I, I and I've asked this to a few other guests, too, because I, I think about the entrepreneurial journey, right? And, and you know, and just it, it, probably in your consulting capacity, you hear a lot of ideas and you hear people who are passionate about them. And you may give them the best piece of advice that they ever will need to hear in their life about their business or how they're operating or how they're taking it to market. And that their belief is so strong that they're inflexible. And, you know, even to the point of... It, once the business is derailing, like you know, people somebody's working on a project for five years, for instance, and it's not a film, right? It's it's just trying to get something off the ground. Like, when do is there a point in time by which you abandon or you suspend that belief for a second to go to you know to reassess and what is the kind of filter that a, a person needs to 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 make that right the right choice?
1: Well, well, first of all. To be an entrepreneur, you have to be delusional. You have to absolutely (laughs) believe in what you're doing beyond um, all criticism of it, all negative feedback. You know, I'm absolutely an advocate of the saying, those people who say it can't be done should get out of the way of those people doing it. Um, The only way you'll be successful is is to be to some degree delusional and to carry on believing and working way beyond – where lesser people would have given up and where people are astounded that that you've kept going. The second thing I would say is that I am all about playing the long game. You know, in in today's world of instant gratification, people really lose sight of the fact that anything worth doing um, is worth doing over a long period of time and anything that anybody ever built worth building happened over a long period of time. So we have a real tendency to rewrite history and and successful entrepreneurs do this themselves. You know, people forget that It took some of today's biggest successes a very long time when nobody knew who they were before they had that that breakthrough or that change of circumstance that then powered them to success. Um, There's a saying attributed to Confucius, it does not matter how slowly you go as long as you do not stop. And I am just a huge believer in if you're doing something really worth doing, something you passionately believe in, it is going to take a long time, and you have to prepared to stick with it for a very long time and so you find a way to make that work you know you you bootstrap right. um, you do two things simultaneously, you know you 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 find volunteer help, you draw on the support of your network, whatever you do but 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 the fact remains. You know, really successful ventures take a very, very long time to build and you've got to be in it for the long haul.
0: And um, so you you talked a little bit about instant gratification earlier, um, which leads me to sex um and uh you
1: the- also also a place <laughs> also a place where it's a mistake to go exactly. for instant
0: gratification exactly and that's and that's why i i love uh make love not porn <laughs> um can you talk a little bit about that movement and you know again just the idea that this particular area was so passionate for you no pun on the word passionate um that you made a business out of it right and it, where most people can be like oh, i'm going to just talk to my son a little better about you know the birds and the bees where you've created a, an entire movement around you know the real the realistic side of intimacy so uh but i'll let you explain it because um, I'm, I, w- I would suck at it
1: sure um so um as I said earlier, Make Love Not Porn um, was a complete accident. Um, I date younger men who tend to men in their 20s. And through dating younger men, uh, and, you know, this is about seven or eight years ago, um, way before the media picked up on any of this, okay. I began realizing that I was encountering an issue that would never have crossed my mind if I had not encountered it very intimately and personally, which is what happens when two things converge – When today's total freedom of access to hardcore porn online meets our society's equally total reluctance to talk openly and honestly about sex, it's the convergence of both of those factors that's resulted in porn becoming by default the sex education of today in not a good way. And so I found myself encountering a number of, if you like, sexual behavioral memes I went, whoa, I know where that behavior is coming from. And if I'm experiencing this, then other people must be as well. And being a very action-oriented person, I went, I want to do something about it. So over five years ago now, I put up on No Money, a very basic clunky website at makelovenotporn.com that posts the myths of hardcore porn and balances them with reality. So the construct is porn world versus real world. I had the opportunity to launch Make Love Not Porn at TED, And I took a deliberate decision to be very explicit in my TED talk because I knew that audience would not get this issue unless I was very straightforward about it. As a result, I am to this day the only TED speaker ever to have uttered the words, come on my face on the TED stage.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or on Innovation Crush now. Thank you. (laughs)
1: The talk went viral as a result, and it drove an extraordinary response to Make Love Not Porn. And the most extraordinary thing was not simply um, huge amounts of traffic to the site from every country in the world, so it went global without my doing anything practically about it. But every single day for the past five years, I've received thousands of emails to my Make Love Not Porn inbox, and they come from everybody, young and old, male and female, straight and gay from every country in the world. And even before the actual site that I put up, what amazes people is simply the fact that I stood on a stage in public, I talked about and I'm doing something about what everybody knows and nobody ever speaks about. And as a result, people feel able to tell me anything. They pour their hearts out to me on email. They tell me things about their sex lives and their porn watching habits they've never told anybody else before. They write for advice Fifteen-year-old boys write to me for advice. Fifteen-year-old women write to me for advice. And it was the sheer cumulative impact of those emails arriving day after day after day that eventually began making me feel that I had a personal responsibility to take this venture forwards in a way that would make it much more far-reaching, helpful, and effective. So what I always have to emphasize is that Make Love Not Porn is not anti-porn. The issue we're tackling isn't porn. The issue we're tackling is the complete lack in our society of an open, healthy, honest, truthful conversation around sex in the real world. Which, if we had it, would, among many other benefits, also mean that people would then bring a real-world mindset to the viewing of what is essentially artificial entertainment. So our tagline is pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference – and our message boils down to very simply talk about it. Talk about sex openly and honestly in the public domain and talk about sex openly and honestly privately in your intimate relationships. And so a little over a year ago, my team and I launched TV, which is a user-generated crowdsourced video sharing platform that celebrates real-world sex. It's MakeLoveNotPorn.com brought to life effectively. Right. Anybody from anywhere in the world can submit Videos of themselves having real-world sex. We explain what we mean by that. It's not performative. This isn't about performing for the camera. Sure. It's simply about capturing what goes on in the real world, in all its funny, glorious, messy, silly, wonderful, beautiful humanness. I'm my team, Curate. We watch every video to make sure that it's real. We don't publish it if it's not. And we have a revenue-sharing business model. So we are part of the collaborative economy, just like um, Uber and Airbnb and TaskRabbit. Sure. You pay to rent and stream real world sex videos, and 50% of that income goes to you, our contributor, or as I like to call you, our Make love not porn star.
0: That's awesome. Uh, and, and like how what's the population on the website so far? like how is it doing? I, I know you have the woes of a startup, but it, I mean it sounds like you've hit a lot of really amazing milestones in in launching it.
1: Well, make love Not porn is doing very well despite every possible obstacle the tech and business world can lay in our path so we are a little over a year old in public beta we have over a quarter of a million members um at the last count um we are taking in revenue every month so you know not not a huge amount as yet but in a world where the received wisdom is nobody pays the porn they're paying for real world sex a number of our make love not porn stars are making four figures at each payout so we are the answer to the global economy (laughs) <laughs> um, we've gotten shed loads of media coverage all around the world without doing one single bit of media outreach. We have no PR team. We we we, we, we never, you know, make any kind of PR sure. efforts ourselves. Um, in theory, with that much traction, in the marketplace and proof of concept. We're perfectly positioned to raise a Series A round of funding. In practice, nobody will touch us because we're about sex. My team and I fight a battle every single day to build this business. Sure. Every piece of business infrastructure any other startup can take for granted, we can't because the small print always says no adult content. Right. And so we're just having a very, very difficult time and yet, you know, despite time, we are doing very well. Um, in the face of it, imagine how much better we would be doing if we didn't have the problems we have getting funded, getting banked, sure. putting payment systems in place.
0: Now, are you going to have to, you know, take this to like a legislation level, you know, in terms of because it, 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 I feel like one of the bigger differences here is, you know, it's educational to, an, to a degree, right? Um, or at least it's it's clarifying. <laughs> and it is kind of you know, it is the light in the dark path of the porn industry, right? Especially when it comes to, like you mentioned, like what people are learning from what they see, um, and knowing that there is a healthier way of going about intimacy. Um, do you? And I know, like, like for instance, Facebook or certain payment systems won't allow you to do transactions, or you have very limited. Groups of resources that you can go to to just do simple things, like you said, that other startups take, 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 uh, take for granted. So um, the question again, just kind of, uh, it, do you feel like there's going to be a, an escalation? Are you going to become the Larry Flint of, <laughs> you know, the, the personal intimacy world versus adult entertainment?
1: Well, first of all, this has nothing to do with legislation. Everything we're doing is utterly legal. My single biggest obstacle on Make Love Not Porn is the social dynamic that I characterize as fear of what other people will think. Right. It is never about what the person I'm talking to thinks, it's their perceived and wrong headed fear of what everybody else will think. And, and that is precisely the issue that we are tackling um, with Make Love Not Porn you know, what I essentially decided to do with Make Love Not Poor Not TV was to take every dynamic that exists out there in social media currently and apply them to the one area that no other social media network or platform is ever going to go, sex, in order to make real-world sex and the discussion around it socially acceptable and therefore just as socially shareable as anything else we currently share on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. So success for us is a self-fulfilling prophecy. The more we achieve our mission the easier our path will be. We have to pave our own way. And so I'm fighting this battle very publicly to try and get people to see how ridiculous um, the, the, the very fact we're fighting is. I believe that you can change the world through sex. My team and I are working to make sex better for all of us. We want to change and disrupt the world of sex and porn for the better. The world of business and tech and finance is doing everything it possibly can to stop us. Where's the sense in that? Because the answer to everything that worries people about porn is not to shut down, censor, clamp down, block, repress. The answer is to open up. Open up in the dialogue. Open up the dialogue in the way that you know my team and I are are trying to do with Make Love Not Porn. Open up to welcoming, supporting, and funding right. entrepreneurs who want to disrupt this whole area for the better. Open up to allowing people like me and my team to do business on the same terms as everybody else, and you will see a very different future for porn and a very different porn industry and a healthier
0: world. Is, is that is that the european in you a little bit because I, when i when i you know the, the the times that i've been to europe and you know i've, I've watched television and in a lot of territories it's it's really the, the boundaries are a little bit less rigid than they are here in the u.s right we are very much like oh it's taboo but we all like love it you know it's 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 this weird balance of it's the one thing that's on everybody's mind and the one thing that every no one will talk about. But, you know, I go to Germany and I'm watching television there and there's boobs on television and it, and it's, it's campy, right? It's not even and it's on public television. It's not even adult entertainment. It's just campy, regular TV show. And you go, oh, it's highly accepted here. Um, so there's those, there's that cultural nuance that you have to, it seems like you also have to navigate. So you're really changing. Is no,
1: it- um, no, um, no, actually, um, we're a global platform sure. and what we're tackling is a global issue. The same attitude applies everywhere in the world. I cannot find any investors who want to fund Make Love Not Porn anywhere in the world. I can't find a bank who wants my business anywhere in the world. I can't find a mainstream payment processor who will work with me anywhere in the world. I I travel, um, as I said earlier, um, a lot because I rely on public speaking um, to support myself. And so I take the opportunity everywhere I speak to ask for help from the stage. I have no pride because fighting this battle is so difficult. I ask for help everywhere I go. And I can tell you that fear of what other people will think is a problem in every single country in the world.
0: Right. Um, Let's switch gears a little uh, for a second. Uh, From what I gather, uh, you, uh, you have seen that you called yourself a rampant feminist at at one point. Um, And, you know, I, I maybe a couple of weeks ago I had watched this video on sort of the new woman, the the woman post the age of the nuclear family. Um, I wanted to just know, like, what is sort of the Cindy Gallup brand of feminism?
1: Um, the Cindy Gallup brand of feminism, and, and and the reason I say I'm a rampant feminist is because that's how much of a feminist I am. <laughs> is that I am all about championing women's rights and issues to get to a future. Um, for the world and for business that is gender equal. Because we live in a world where the default setting is always male. And men have no idea how much happier they would be living and working in a world that was 50-50 equally informed, influenced, designed, managed, led by women as well as men. And so... I'm about doing everything I can to help us all get to that world. Because when you redesign the future of business around gender equality, when you redesign the future of life around gender equality, you you create a world that is just way happier, way more productive, um, and way more enjoyable for men as well as women.
0: Uh, yes, I want to enjoy women in my workplace as well. Um so um,
1: actually, um, no, 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 because I'm gonna push back on that facetious <laughs> statement. Um sure. so when I talk about redesigning sure. the future business to be gender sure. equal, um what I mean is the need to restructure business from the very core. Because Business and work is a male-centric construct, and that's not surprising because it built up over centuries when we as women were not allowed to do it. We weren't allowed to work. We weren't encouraged to, you know, operate in business. So the entire corporate structure that informs the way that virtually every business operates today um, was based on the concept of the housewife. Because the entire corporate structure built up over time based on a fundamental belief decades ago that it it would always be men who went to work and there'd always be a woman at home taking care of everything else. That's changed, but the corporate structure hasn't. And so one of the things we need to redesign the future of business around, and note, I don't say motherhood. I say parenting as something both genders do equally because when instead of stick-on solutions that businesses currently operate, oh, we added a creche, oh, we added flexible working hours for women, when we redesign the nature and structure of business from the core to, to, to encompass parenting, men will have much happier, more productive working and personal lives just as much as
0: women will. I you know. And I 100 percent agree that you uh, in that same interview, I think you mentioned that, you know, not only business structure, but just innovation. Right. Innovation is a matter of gathering perspectives. Right. And our tendency is to gravitate toward people that, you know, we share values or experiences or histories with. And not really get in the room with people who we may be uncomfortable with, or you know, like I, I forget how you phrased it, but it was some so it was like a like a, a good friction in the room, right? Like there's a there's a, there's a specific amount of tension needed in order to come up with innovative ideas. And that could be from an operational capacity inside of a business or just, you know, from an innovation standpoint, whether you're developing a product or a a marketing, you know, um, tactic behind something. Um, What I also wanted to ask, because you talk a lot about your mom as well, uh, and how has feminism changed, you know, from when you were growing up to you know the movement that you're you know kind of at the helm of in some capacities uh today
1: oh, i'm afraid i'm not um an academic and a historian so i can't tell you that
0: <laughs> okay okay no and it's just really interesting just the, the fact that you know um there there has been so much movement on that on that sort of that that front um Kind of going back a little bit to uh, make love not porn and and not even that, but just the idea of sex in the idea that sex sells right how um, even from your marketing background you know when i drive down sunset boulevard with my eight-year-old daughter it's like i almost want to gouge your eyes out like i don't want you to see any of this stuff and i'm probably you know a the person you want to reach with make love not porn having healthy conversation around that stuff but just what from your experience what is the cultural obsession with sex and using that as a marketing tactic
1: um I regularly get called by journalists who want to talk to me about porn, and they will ask me things like, you know, Cindy, you know, do you feel that porn objectifies women? You know, do, do you feel that porn is offensive to women? And what I will say to them is that any industry that is dominated by men at the top inevitably produces product that is offensive to women, and then I will point them to the commercial breaks in the Super Bowl. Right. My industry is as male-dominated at the top as every other industry – and, that, and that's what drives um, the perception you're talking about um, that there is a cultural phenomenon that says that sex sells as opposed to thinking that a male worldview operates the belief that sex sells. Sure. So the day we have a porn industry that is 50-50 equally informed, influenced, managed, designed and led from the top by women as well as men. That therefore targets 50% of its product and output equally at women just as much as men, as opposed to currently mistakenly thinking that men are the only audience for porn. And that therefore, very importantly, makes 50% of its money equally out of women just as much as men is the day we have a porn industry that looks very, very different, more innovative more disruptive, more creative, and a better industry overall. The same applies to the advertising industry. And so I do a lot of work championing women in my industry advertising, in the tech world, in every industry where the leadership is dominated by men. And by the way, everything I say with regard to gender also applies to race, ethnicity, sexuality, True innovation is driven by diversity, by many different perspectives, viewpoints, worldviews, insights coming together in constructive conflict and getting to a better place together. Um, And what we see in every industry is um, the result of a closed loop of white guys talking to white guys about other white guys. Right. And that, that is never going to enable any industry and any company within it to own the future. And so... At the moment, here in the U.S., 97% of all advertising agency creative directors are men. Only 3% are women. The day we have an advertising industry that is creatively driven 50-50 equally by female creative perspectives, evaluation of advertising, um, production of advertising as much as it is by men, you will see very different advertising and it's something that i talk about that i call the new creativity mm. and by the way the new creativity is driven by many different things the rise of big data you know um, the opportunity of digital affords but but the new creativity is also and will be female informed and 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 actually the interesting thing is that when 50% of advertising agency created directors are female, not only will we see better non-stereotype depictions of women in advertising, we will also see much better non-stereotype depictions of men. I'm fed up with seeing young men depicted as total morons and douchebags in fast food, beer advertising. Yes. I want to see <laughs> men represented, you know, in, in a real um you know running the full gamut of emotions representation of typologies versus you know the the young moron the pathetic husband who doesn't know how to do anything the stupid man right and when you have 50 percent of advertising being guided and directed and generated by women as well as men that will change
0: that's beautiful um so as you know the show is called innovation crush are there any things out there in the marketplace that you're currently crushing on is there something you see you mentioned a couple of things that make the new creative right the big data um just different things that are out there are there anything out there that you that you go that's pretty amazing and i want to be a part of it or that's a really cool trend that's happening right now
1: um i would say just um At the moment, and also because we're talking about this, every man and woman who is working towards gender equality in every area, because that's what drives innovation, as I said earlier. Um, Women challenge the status quo because we are never it. And I regularly say to company leadership, if you want to do one thing right now that will set your company on the path to innovation and disruption, it's very simple. Take a long, hard look at your company identify every area within it that is all male or male-dominated, change that. Just doing that one thing will instantly set you on a more innovative path. And so that's the kind of innovation I'm going to be crushing on. And again, as I say, in the context where diversity is welcomed of not only gender, but race, ethnicity, sexuality, I crush on anybody and everything that is working towards that world.
0: Well, thank you. Uh, um, and uh, as we close a little bit, uh, this is one thing that we ask everyone to sort of um, uh, fill in the blank question here. Uh, innovation to me is.
1: Well, I feel that I'm, I'm, I'm just, um, you know, um, repeating myself somewhat, <laughs> but, but um, innovation to me is, you know, the coming together of many different insights, mindsets, worldviews, um, you know, thoughts, perspectives from many different sorts of people, um, in a way that that gets to a result where no one of us is as good as all of us. I mean, I just, um, you know, I, I love working with with my team on my startups. I love working with people in the different sort of um, networks and groups that I'm a part of because whoever those people are, when we come together, we have we have different thoughts and. I, I want that difference. Many companies and and many you know to people operating in the closed loop of white guys talking to white guys about other white guys. Right. They think a great result is is everybody agrees, everybody thinks the same, um, everybody you know is saying the same thing. Anybody who has ever watched a panel discussion at a conference can tell you how bloody boring that is. <laughs> Very and true. so to me, innovation is just the collision and the creative and constructive conflict of many different points of view that get to the
0: most extraordinary result that none of you would have gotten to on your own. Beautifully put. Um, how can people find you? Oh,
1: um, they can find me on Twitter at Cindy Gallup. Um, I'm Facebook.com, um, Cindy.Gallop. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and they can email me, Cindy at ifwe dot com.
0: And then, as far as like supporting you and your movement, right? Is there anything that our listeners can do? I can do. Um, oh my
1: god, to- absolutely! Like I said earlier, I have no pride. I ask for help everywhere
0: I go. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm uh, here. Uh, here's a here's a platform with anybody, eleven if people if, that are listening.
1: Uh, if anybody listening to this, well, um, our single biggest need is we want open minded, like minded investors who want to fund make love, not porn. So anybody like that or anybody who knows that email me, um, anybody who owns a bank and would welcome our business. Let me know anybody who owns a payment processing company. I want to talk. Um, yep. Those are our, those are our, our our biggest
0: needs. Well, there you go. You heard it folks. Um, well, I want to thank you for your time. This has been amazing. I'm so glad we've, we finally got to make this happen.
1: Absolutely, no. It's been a total pleasure. I'm I'm thrilled to have the chance of of, of talking on Innovation Crush.
0: Oh, awesome! Um, well, if uh, everyone, that has been another awesome episode of Innovation Crush with Cindy Gallup, and uh, we will talk to you next time. Thank you.